Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are David Shapiro from Sussman Securities and Wayne McCurry from F&B Wealth and Investments. If you'd like to send questions, please SMS 41392 or email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za. Wayne, David, good evening to you both. Wayne, if I may start with you, it was a much better day today than it was yesterday. Um, and some big gains in shares like Richemont. Um, what do you think was behind the, the shift in mood? Because yesterday seemed quite sour. Look, I think it was whenever you get a big fall like that, the next day is normally up. I mean, Richmond itself, we've spoken about it a few times, is actually looking very, very cheap. So I think just some sort of recovery from a very big sell-off, and maybe it was an unjustified sell-off. And we'll see when the federal chairman speaks tonight whether he, what sort of attitude he takes on it, on, on the whole outlook for interest rates and everything. I mean, David, uh, are we going to be um, all glued to our screens to watch Jerome Powell uh, to pass uh, through his his um, yeah. uh, his statement? Uh, what what is the market going to take that that hasn't already you been said? Like if you go to a synagogue or if you go to church or you go to any religious gathering. You're hardly going to find the preachers telling you to go out and rock and roll and get drunk. And I can't, you know, they've always got that sobering message. And I think that if you're going to listen to Fed governors, that's exactly what you're going to get. You know, you're not going to get them to say, yeah, we're going to we're going to knock interest rates and you're going to have a real rebel rousing year. You know, they've always got that cautionary approach. So just take it in your stride. He's going to be his normal self. You know, it was very hard to extract positive statements from him last week, but we managed to get it through the body <laughs> language. But don't expect anything, you know, and don't sell because of it. You know, mm. don't, don't get forced into panic. Mm. In fact, if you were late last night, so it was a question that they mm. didn't get to you, but they said, what effect would a recession in the States have on the markets? Wayne, would it have a, um, a negative uh, effect or, or actually would the markets be quite happy about a recession because, ergo, uh, the Fed would have to cut interest rates at some point? Would that be the I, thing? I think, that's what, I think that's what will actually happen if they go into a recession. It's still our view that there will be a mild recession. But as long as they achieve what they want to on inflation, interest rates will come down. You know, and, and I agree with David. You know, they cannot say anything else other than be very hawkish if, in, if inflation is above their target range. There's no other rhetoric they can use. Mm. Yeah. Put the genie back in the bottle, you know, that was Kashkari. We got to put the genie back in the bottle, the inflation. You know, so you hear the same kind of expressions. I think what they worried about last week, we saw like the 10-year, 5-year and all the bonds coming down quite a bit, the rates coming down. And that concerns them because that's been one of the reasons that they keep rates steady because, you know, you borrow, you don't borrow at the prime rate or at the Fed rate. Hmm. You borrow at, uh, if you're going to do a long-term loan, you're going to borrow, you know, your, your interest rate will be set at long-term rates. And therefore, that does inhibit people. It inhibits, you know, people going out and spending or borrowing long-term and so on. So they were a little concerned with the speed at which uh, some of those rates came down. So I have no doubt that they're going to try and stop that. Mm. But just this is all part, you know, it's we've seen the tops. You know, we've seen it. Now you just got to get through the noise. Mm. And traditionally, markets have generally have a more upbeat November, December. October is generally mm. a bad month for markets. I don't know if 
Is it as simple as that? You know, everyone feels a bit more friss <laughs> towards the end of the year <laughs> after the October slump that maybe things are going to look a little bit better. Wayne, are you, um, uh, are you feeling a bit more chipper about markets now, in look, general? Uh, I mean, certainly when you, when you look at a couple of things, when you look at uh, um, transition points in the market, inflection points in the market, and hopefully we're at one now where interest rates are going to do, turn down and we're at the top. Markets are always choppy. You always get volatility. And exactly the same happens at the top of the market. You know, they also get huge volatility before the market turns down. So I think we're at one of these points now where we can get volatility. I mean, people couldn't buy enough shares after the Thursday meeting and then they couldn't sell enough, you know, literally yeah. three days later. We're still ahead of where we were on, on, on the month. So it hasn't given back all of the gains, but I think it's quite normal to see this sort of, uh, uh, I suppose, just proper volatility, panicking in and panicking out. Mm, okay. So a viewer sends us a question, um, uh, and uh, seeing as we're talking a little bit about U.S. markets, he says, I'm 68 years old, and one of my portfolios contains 22 U.S. shares, uh, among them two uh, ETFs i.e. TLT and SOX. I'm not sure what that stands for. The weighting is more or less mm. even. I want less risk and already have two S&P 500 exchange traded funds, but the value is only 15% of my US stock portfolio. The problem is the domination of tech stocks in most decent ETFs, even the world ETF, and I already have all of them in my stock portfolio except for NVIDIA. Does it make sense to sell and buy ETFs to minimize risk while still wanting to invest in equities? Hmm. To sell, uh, uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> in socks, he's got Nvidia. He's got a big chunk of Nvidia in socks. Okay. So, um, but you know, it, it, it's very hard to look at it or to dispense advice without actually going through the total portfolio. Look, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing talks now, calling it the return of the magnificent seven. And uh, Wayne will appreciate, he knows exactly who the Magnificent Seven are. And you know, you might be a little too young for the original one with the old Brenner in, but um, you know, and, and the whole series that followed. But I still think that that coming up, we're going to be dominated by big tech, by those Magnificent Seven. You know, it might be a little more than that. Um, I still think that when you look at their results and when you see the mar where the market is going, um, I'm a big believer that America hegemony is going to continue into the next decade, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So that's that's my philosophy. So understand where I'm coming from when I answer the question. Mm. <laughs> Having said that, though, if you have all these tech stocks already and then you, uh, well, you have, you know, U.S. shares and then you've got shares mm. kind of almost duplicated if you have, say, four ETFs, two S&P 500 ETFs. Um, and a SOX ETF uh -huh. and a, a TLT ETF, and you wanted a little less volatility, why wouldn't you sell at least just one of the S&P 500 ETFs? Because you've got okay. that already, right? Would you do yeah. that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of duplication there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, Wayne? Um, <coughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go away. Look, I mean, as, as I've said many times, you know, diversification is the only free lunch in investment. So if you feel it's too concentrated in tech, Diversify doesn't mean sell them, but maybe sell them all, but maybe sell some of them. And you know that the dominance of tech was really fueled by excessively low interest rates. Now, tech shares, I mean, obviously they are huge companies, 
but the absolute dominance of tech might not be the same in the next 10 years as it's been in the previous 10 years. And it was a highly unusual set of circumstances that gave rise to the unbelievably good performance of tech shares. I think they will outperform, but not to the same extent as what as what we have seen, because the environment is different. You know, growth shares perform extremely well if the long bond's below one percent, but growth shares don't perform as well when the long bond is four or five percent. They just don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, David, I can uh, you know, I suppose. Okay, so even if you don't get the same level of outperformance that you've had over the last five years, do, does it does it negate the, the investment thesis behind these tech stocks? I, I, I don't think so. I just, um, you know, it depends um, whether we get the productivity gains that will come with hopefully with uh, artificial intelligence and all the other amounts of money that, be, that are put into technological advancement, whether it's electric vehicles, whether it's, um, uh, you know, in the medical side. Um, so... I think that these tech companies, you know, as long as rates, here's the caveat, as long as rates don't go above 4%, you know, if they remain in the 3 to 4% era and that, then I think they can sustain it. It's when it goes much higher than that, if it goes up to 5 or 6% or something like that, which I don't think is going to happen, then, then, you know, it's game off. Then it becomes a much more difficult. Then, you know, for consumers to try and uh, live paying those kind of rates or businesses or even governments, it puts a lot of pressure on. But I think those rates are going to come down to much more acceptable level. And and Wayne will tell you, you know, we it's much better to have rates at three to four percent than down at zero to one percent. Yeah. You know, it's uh, those were exceptional times. That created a whole bunch, a lot of bad behavior, and and you can't value things yes. appropriately. Mm. So, um, just sticking with the the tech sh- uh, theme uh, before the break, there's a viewer who says, um, and it's a stock pick. It has been one of your stock picks, David. He says, could you kindly ask David's opinion on is it Adian or Adian or Aiden? I'm not. Oi, 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 oi. <laughs> tell him, tell him to up that out. <laughs> Dutch, it's, Dutch listed fintech share. It's been a stock pick of his down almost 50% year to date. Of, is it still worth holding? Yeah, no. Just play, play. I never said that. Okay. <laughs> you see, we all hang on your every word here. I love that business, but it's it's there's a lot of competition in that era. And uh, they've been under, I still think they're a decent company, but they've been hammered. You know, mainly because of increased competition and also slowdown in purchase in 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 purchasing power and that. Yeah, that wasn't what. That's not my brightest moment of the year. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can we can spare your blushes and move on. I don't know if uh, Wayne has anything to add here. Not not uh, not about the company per se, but you know, in 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 the in the environment that we are all in, people only remember your mistakes. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wayne, there was a question uh, that came through a little bit earlier on Supergroup. Um, and the viewer says, the stock escaped my radar, but its share price has performed well this year, up 26%. Have I missed the bus here, or is there still an opportunity for a buy, despite that demand uh, in the road haulage of coal and other minerals, for example, could decline? How key That's is that for Supergroup? Be- now, look, it is very important for any logistics firm, but it's, and it's not going to decline tomorrow. Eh? That's for sure. It's going to take a 
awful amount of time and money and effort to sort out transnet and logistics and the ports and the rail and nah i think supergroup still you can still buy it despite the run it's had i mean when you think this company david will remember almost uh, went bankrupt uh, not that many uh, years ago uh, and the so. new management takeover peter went there and it's done extremely well and now this this is still cheap hmm. it's one of the few companies that has risen from the dead you know yes. that was nearly one of the few uh, yeah yeah Where it was lazarus like <clears throat> yeah lazarus yeah. <laughs> But uh, I agree with Wayne. I think they're in a nice area. They're well run. And, uh, yeah, very solid operation. And it's not just, uh, I, in fact, I don't actually know how big the road, the um, coal haulage uh, or, or mm. is for, for Supergroup. I mean, they're, they're quite diversified in terms of their business. Mm. And they've got quite a lot yeah. of, in fact, we were talking about it on Monday night. They've got, you know, they've got Australian operations. They've got UK operations. So, Mark Hassenfuss, who writes for the Financial Mail, in his view, it is one of the kind of the most underrated grand hedges on the JSE. Um, partly, I guess, because it had such a tough mm. turnaround period. Hmm. Yeah, no, yeah it's, it's, a very, it's a very good company. It's a well-run company. And for the next two or three years, they, they, they're still going to get all of that freight business coming through there. Is anything, any lesson for an investor, um, if you look at Supergroup, I mean, why did Supergroup succeed and other companies fail? I think the underlying operations were good. It was a matter of perhaps uh, previous management was a little too aggressive, uh, maybe too a little expansive. Um, but there was nothing wrong, I think, with the fundamental business. You know, they were in uh, fleet management, they were in logistics, all of which have, um, they, they, in fact, they were the first. The first time I ever heard the word logistics was from Larry, Larry Lipschitz, Larry, yeah. who was the CEO there. I said, what, what is logistics? And he had to explain exactly what it was. You know, and today it's, a, I mean, we use it all the time. But uh, they were first out. They also had all the panel beaters, remember? They had a lot of... Uh, uh, companies like that, as well as uh, outlets, you know, sold motor cars. So, mm. but I think fundamentally, you know, it, it was a good operation. Management saw that, the new management, they just had to fine tune it and, and introduce a lot of discipline. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and reduce the debt. I mean, you know, and which mm. they did. Um, okay. So you don't think it's too late to buy it. Um, then a question on Investec, which came out with a, a pretty strong trading update today, uh, well, ahead of its uh, pre-close update. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the viewer says, can your panel please give comment on Investec's nice performance for the day when it's, uh, the shares were up 5%, I think? Yeah. Look, I mean, I went to a, a, a lunch just before COVID hit us where, the, where Investec's management spoke. And it was a very compelling argument. And the argument was just simply... We're not getting the return on capital and the return on equity that we should be doing. So maybe not that dissimilar to Supergroup. Mm. They just went back to basics. They didn't try and be aggressive. They closed down pieces of the business that weren't working. There was no ego involved in any of this. And unfortunately, I've missed it. They didn't, you know, and the company didn't own any shares in it. But the three-year and five-year performance is spectacular. Yeah. In fact, perhaps we can bring up maybe a 10-year chart of Investec just to, because it spends 
a long time in the wilderness after the yes. global financial crisis. In fact, maybe even before then, partly before because of then. the disaster. It was Kensington, which, you know, the, the UK business that it bought, which just took mm. forever to work its way out of the system. Um, David, do you think it's too uh -huh. late to buy Investec? Or, yeah, there you I, go. I, I think, you know, I, I put it this way. Um, I never knew that Fani Titi would do the job that he's done. And it's another lesson as well. Um, I've got nothing against Stephen Kossif and Bernard Cantor and, and the previous team. They were superb. They were the pioneers of this business. They built it up from scratch. But I suppose you get to a point, as Wayne said, or you said, you know, they get into the wilderness, perhaps getting a bit stale, just haven't got the same kind of maybe energy or not. To, and you need someone to come in and say, okay, let's take those same assets. You've built up good assets and let's take what we can out of them. They're not being well managed. Mm. And I think Fani Titi against uh, opinion, you know, I don't think the market thought he's going to do it, has done an incredible job. Uh, you know, without even losing that culture or that feel for that business. So um, there's another lesson. Sometimes management stays a little too long. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and look, a the share is not expensive, eh? Mm. This, this is the same rating as all the other banks. You know, it's not, it's not double the rating. It's got a high dividend yield. So despite the big run, it's still not expensive. The thing is, do you compare Investec to the other banks in South Africa or not really? Or do you compare Investec well, look, to like a, a Goldman Sachs or, or a JP Morgan? Who do you compare yeah, but that, that, that's the that That's the point is that in theory, they should have a higher rating than the other banks, the other big banks. And yet the rating's the same. They're both all at the seven dividend yield. You know, Investec maybe. Given what they've been able to do there, maybe it should be a higher rating. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's expensive. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah, as you say. I remember you unbundled 91, yeah. which was ended yeah. up a, being a very good move. Everyone thought, oh, that's the death of Investec, you know, because they're going to. Hendrick has been the, uh, the, the sole motivator of the whole business, you know, the sole. Yeah, it's, it's his bit. No, <laughs> no, they're doing okay. In <laughs> fact, if you had well. to compare the performance of, sadly, of 91, which is an excellent company, mm. but also subject to, to what's happened on the markets, to the performance of, of Investec, they will be... Uh, Investec's far better, yeah. yeah. Mm. Far better. Okay. But off a, mm. off a very depressed base, eh? Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, what about multi-choice? Um, the viewer says multi-choice is 30% oh. lower than it was five years ago. <laughs> is it a buy for this low price? As Africa doesn't have uh, reliable fiber, um, which is the, the arguments, you know, so it's, it's, uh, um, you know, it's not going to be overcome by the streaming services like Netflix. Or is it a sinking ship with everyone moving to streaming? Uh, David, what do you think? I, you know, a chap in the office today said to me, he says, what's Roku? Because I use Roku. What's streaming? What does it cost you? And he asked me questions. And he said, you know, I'm absolutely sick of multi-choice. I'm sick of this, you know. And he was just expressing, uh, all, all, all I can say is that uh, he doesn't want the service anymore. He wants to switch and whatever is the problem. And I think, I think generally that's the issue that multi-choice are facing. The, the, the sheer value of competition, you know, what you can get uh, with other streaming services. So they've got a tough, tough, tough time ahead, you know, to try and compete with these. So I'm not, this was just one incident of, of a chap who was quite frustrated with the 
uh, you know, with DSTV and uh, the offerings that they have. You know, we all watch sport. We all watch these programs that we're on now and everything. But I think I think management's got a tough task, you know, to try and compete with what's out there. Mm. And it's cheap. You know, it's relatively cheap. I'm talking the the streaming services. Streaming, yeah, yeah mm. exactly. In comparison to the packages, um, and and you can see it in in DSTV's packages, there hasn't really been any price mm. inflation. They they, they cannot push high prices push through. Uh, otherwise, they'll just there's lose been, even more volume. There's been no price inflation there for eight years, if not longer. Oh. Look, they got one big asset. They do local content, whereas the overseas streamers don't do local content at all. So it's one big asset. But just personally, you know, four years ago, I watched virtually, well, I watched 100% DSTV, whereas now it's 20%. Mm. If that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, the sports channels, <laughs> I, I'm a big football supporter and that I watch 203 or something. But I don't watch it every day. You know, you watch it when there's a game on. And the game lasts 90, well, today with all the today, VAR yeah. and everything is going on for three hours, the games, you know. <laughs> but uh, but normally you'd watch and that's the end, you know. And so you don't watch it during the week. You maybe watch no, it I, hours a week. Mm. The, 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 despite, I mean, the, I mean, I'm just looking at it, they've had a huge fall in the share price. Oh. Despite that, I, I, I don't think I'd buy it. Mm, okay. Then what about Sassel? Uh, the viewer says, at what price will Sassel bottom out? Closed at 226 Rand today. Also, what do you expect Sassel to trade uh, to trade on the upside? And will the price of Brent crude have a major impact on the share price? Um, further, will Brent bottom at 60 to $75 a barrel or will it trade higher to $90 a barrel? Uh, Wayne, if I can stick with you because you have a fairly good feel for the, the oil market. Yeah, I just might. Stock pick last week, um, <laughs> Cecil. But look, um, the Brent oil is now at long last seeming seem to follow the normal commodity cycle pricing. In other words, it should be weak and it is weak and it's going down. But on the two to three year view, the outlook for Brent is as high, as good as any other commodity. Global growth will pick up. There's been maybe even more so than than other general commodities except coal. There's been no new investment in finding new oil, nothing, for years. So if there's ever a true demand pull, there could be a big squeeze. So I'm actually quite positive on the two to three year outlook on Brent. And I think it could go to 110, 120 quite comfortably, not in the shorter term. And 50% of Cecil is chemicals. And there's mm -hmm. been a rout in chemical prices. So the turnaround in that could also actually be quite good. And, and uh, the, the current rating is very low. That's what was my stock pick. So yeah. no different to any other commodity company, by the way. I mean, it's no different to any other commodity company at the moment, but I still think the outlook is reasonably good okay. in the medium term. I mean, David, as, as Wayne says, 50% of it is, is chemicals. So chemicals. Don't, don't draw, in other words, don't draw a direct parallel between what happens to the Brent crude price and what will happen to Cecil shares because there's a few other factors that you need to consider. If you, look, if you went through Omnia's results, you know, mm. they told you how chemical prices are coming down. And a lot of it has to do with general growth general levels of growth. So uh, I know we tend to look at mainly the commodity, you know, the, the, the metal commodities and so on, but uh, manufacturing's down. 
globally uh, in every respect. So I think Wayne, Wayne's right. If you look at those charts, if you look at all the commodity charts, they're not, they're just ambling along, you know, making this very, very solid, long bottom. And uh, when it turns, then it turns fast off that bottom. But it's it's time. You don't have to be impatient. You know, don't don't rush in. But just watch it. You know, it doesn't it's not going anywhere. But uh, you can you can be patient on this one. But things will turn. Yeah. And I see that in the platinum stocks as well. I know that that's that, they've been hammered. They've been absolutely hammered. But the share prices are leveling out, going sideways. Okay, we'll get into your stock picks for the last minute and a half. Uh, Wayne, what what is yours this week? I mean, I'm, I'm going for AVI. They gave the chairman's statement today, and it again reinforces why this is a good business. They can push prices. They've got a strong enough product range to actually get price increases through the system, and it more than compensates for their cost increases. And the share price has done nothing for three years now, mm. and you're buying this at a you know, almost a 7% dividend yield. This is a very good company, and that's and this is just good pricing. The second thing it reinforces is that why on earth do they still have the IMJ in the business? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I understand. <laughs> I just can't understand why they don't unbundle that, do something with it, sell it, because it doesn't add value to AVI. Mm. But do I'll go with AVI. It's a fish sticks? good it's a good company at a reasonable price. Yeah. Okay, David. Uh, <laughs> um, I just want to know, do they still do freaky fricks? Freaky fricks. What? Fricks. Those are the best. I and J, you know. Anyway. Hey. I can tell you that you my daughter single-handedly eats a lot of fish fingers. So we're propping a yeah. few things up these there. Are, these are fish fingers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, yeah, but David, uh, anyway. we'd rather hear about your stock pick. Let's hear your stock pick now. I'm going for L'Oreal. And the reason is that there's been a big turnaround in the demand for uh, luxury and for, um, you know, certainly companies like L'Oreal as well. I know Estee Lauder's results were bad in that, but th this is a good business. And they've been around a long time. Skincare products are superb. Beauty products generally, uh, you know, very good. And uh, I, I think that if you're going to go into luxury, you're going to go into uh, Certainly, health, um, beauty products. You know, this this stands out. They're up about twenty four percent this year. Um, you know, in their own currency in that. But I've been taking another look at them. Yeah. Okay. And I suppose nice it's not business. just not just luxury. I mean, it's also sort of mass market as well. So yeah. But I have to leave it there, unfortunately. Uh, David Wayne, thanks very much for joining us as always. Uh, David Shapiro is from Sassman Securities. Wayne McCurry is from F&B Wealth and Investments. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow at 9 o'clock. We'll be bringing you live coverage of a panel discussion by the South African Council for Natural Scientific Professions, looking at how the industry has progressed in its bid to transform and advance the sector over the last two, decade, two decades. Sorry, And that's here on Business Day TV tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Coming up next, the close. Stay with us. Thank <laughs> you.